Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am, of course, your host, Caleb Franz. It is a pleasure being here. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. This is the community of liberty lovers that we are building together. And uh, I, I cannot express how thrilled that I was last week to uh, include Jeffrey Tucker on our episode last week. We had a phenomenal conversation. Um, of course, if you hadn't heard, the election was also last week. Uh, and we had a, a fantastic conversation on how we move forward from here. And uh, it, was, it was a blast. Jeffrey's a great guy. And because of you, because you, you shared it out, you tweeted it out, that was, it, it broke our records here at Outset for the most popular podcast that we have done so far. And that's only the beginning. I have a great many, um, a great many exciting things that that's coming in the future uh, that that are exclusive with Jeffrey Tucker uh, is only a a small look into that window, um, but but I couldn't have asked for for a better episode with Jeffrey, and because of you, that episode was incredibly successful. We had a blast. Um, this is this is what we're moving toward. This is the, the kind of conversations that we'll be having, because I think that's really important. Um, as, as a people, if we are expected to, to grow as a people, then we need to be having conversations and not just listening to ourselves and caught up in our own, in our own dogma. We need to have conversations with other people. Now, like, for example, Jeffrey Tucker is an unapologetic anarchist, without question. <laughs> I, myself, personally, am not. However, uh, I would be thrilled to have the kind of conversation I just had last week with Jeffrey um, so that we can make strides and move forward and advance the cause of liberty. I am 100% thrilled and happy to work with, with people um, of, of different ideological backgrounds, because that's how we grow um, as, as a whole, as a people. That's how we move forward. And that is something that we're going to, to have to do now that the election is over. This is where the real work begins. The real work wasn't um, stopping Donald Trump or getting Donald Trump elected, whichever side of that, of that coin you were on. That wasn't the real work. As I've said before, the election was lost already. But the real work begins, it began on, on November 9th. Now we are over a week since the election, and it troubles me that, that people don't really see it that way. It troubles me that um, while, while there are certainly a good number who do see it that way, both in, in, in politics and in journalism and in media, um, there, I think, is a greater number who, they're just focused on the divide. And instead of talking about 
about partisanship, or excuse me, about uh, principles, they're talking about partisanship. And I think that's a real problem. The election is over, but the real work just began. And part of that is to remember who we are as a people. Part of that is to, uh, is to remember our history. Part of that is to, to really question and to really reevaluate what it is that we've been taught all the way from the time we were a little kid up to now so that we can really evaluate where we're going to be going in the future. Because what we've been taught has led us all the way up to one of the most divisive campaigns that I can recall in history. And looking back throughout history, there, there, I mean, this, this one takes the cake for, for quite a bit of elections. This is because we don't remember our why. We don't remember our why. We don't remember who we are. We don't remember what not only made us great. When Donald Trump uh, talked about making America great again, I don't think he fully had a grasp on what that meant. I didn't hear very much about the Constitution. I heard a lot about I heard I heard a lot about security. I heard a lot about protectionism. I heard a lot about um, anti-immigration rhetoric, uh, a lot of those kind of things. But what I didn't hear, I didn't hear a lot of Constitution, and I didn't hear a lot of free markets. And that is what made us great. So while I'm obviously hoping for the best in Trump's administration... I can't help but but think to myself, this is Barack Obama in 2008. This was the hope and change, the real, the real, you know, optimistic um, American rhetoric that Obama went, uh, ran on and won on in 2008. And now it's flipped and it's on the right. The real issue, though, and the, and this is on both sides of the political spectrum. The real issue, though, is that we make things about partisanship. We make things about, um, uh, you know, about uh, who's who's going to win this time and who's going to win next time. We make things about it's for the betterment of all of us. On both sides, especially in 2016, on both sides, it's been about collectivism above individualism. You did not hear very much individualism uh, from from the Trump camp. It was very collectivist rhetoric. It's us versus them. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. This is what we're going to have to be fighting against in the future. And, and keep in mind that the, the left is not going to make the same mistake as running somebody as unelectable as Hillary Clinton again. The left is not going to do that again. Their future is is really what what won Obama in in 08 and 12 and it's it was continued under Bernie this year. It was continued under Bernie this cycle. The the socialist movement um among young people, that's something that we're going to have to face moving forward. And that's something that we're going to have to address. And if we don't have the right pushback, we're going to lose. Or even worse, 
if we're no better than the other side, even if we win, we're going to lose, which I fear is what, what happened this year. If you're on the right, you won, but did you really? I don't think that uh, that sheer just winning in and of itself is a true victory. Because look at what you had to do in order to win. You sold out every possible principle that you could have had just to get Donald Trump elected. That's not a victory. That's not for the betterment of, of your party. There's no purpose in winning. If, if all you have to show for it is a right-wing Bernie Sanders now running the White House. That's not productive. And the left is going to look at someone, especially the youth, the left is going to look at someone like Donald Trump and say, that man is a capitalist. Look at how much he royally screwed us up. Now, he's not a capitalist. He's, he's a crony. He utilizes the capitalist system with government assistance to benefit his own personal gain, but that's not capitalism. That's crony capitalism. But young people don't understand that. The people, the people in the Bernie movement don't understand that. That's something that, that we're going to have to face and we're going to have to fight against. And part of that is understanding our roots. Part of that is understanding our history. Uh, this week, I wanted to talk a little bit because um, next week is Thanksgiving. I won't I won't be doing an episode next week, but um, I wanted to have a bit of a Thanksgiving connection in this episode, along with a greater um, lesson to learn from it, because I think there could be no better time um, to learn this kind of lesson that, that uh, we're going to be covering than not only right before Thanksgiving, but also right after 2016, right after uh, the election cycle, because these are the lessons that we're going to have to be um, learning for ourselves and teaching others and showing others, because when we don't remember our own past, we don't remember who we were and where we were and where we came from, then we end up with the likes of Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Hillary Clinton leading the great movements in our nation, and that's a path straight to destruction. Our history tells us that these ideas, not just global history, I'm talking about specifically American history, uh, tells us that, that these ideas have been tried and failed from the very beginning. America was actually not founded on, on free market capitalism. Now, we perfected it, so to speak, before we lost our way. Uh, we expanded it, we utilized it to the likes that it has never been before. But capitalism, it, it wasn't founded by America. Uh, capitalism is a system, it's, it's nature's uh, law. It's God's system, quite literally. I know that's, that's kind of like the Ron Swanson joke that, um, that God, uh, capitalism is God's way of determining who's smart and poor. Um, but honestly, there's a little bit more truth in that. Now, obviously, that's pretty pretty cynical. But capitalism is the, the way 
that, that nature intended for us to orchestrate ourselves. If you understand the laws of nature, if you understand natural rights, if you understand what negative rights are, and what I mean by that is that negative rights are, they can't be given to you. They're already a part of you. Thus, they cannot be taken away. Positive rights are given to you. Like the right to food, the right to health care, the right to uh, free education. These things are positive rights, and they're not really rights. That's not what a right is. I mean, people, they, they throw the word right around all over the place without really understanding what a right is. True rights, authentic rights, negative rights, are rights that are found in nature that nobody has to give to you. If you can, if you can make it by the sweat of your brow, then that's your right. You have the right to free speech, you have the right to protect yourself, you have the right to practice your religion however way you wish. So long as you're not infringing someone else's rights, then you're more than happy to do so. Go right ahead. In that same line of thought, your right to produce, your right to the fruits of your own labor, that is capitalism in a nutshell. It is founded in our understanding of natural rights. Unfortunately, we didn't quite understand that um, whenever America was founded. And I'm not even talking about in 1776. We, we began, um, you, you can't really call the Founding Fathers capitalists because they weren't really capitalists. They didn't understand the system at the time. It was just at that time being outlined and, and defined. However, you can say that free market principles drove their lives. That absolutely you can say. However, that wasn't the case always in American history. Because before them, how they knew that free markets and private enterprise, how we knew that was the way to go, was because America was not founded on capitalism. America was founded on socialism, and that system nearly eliminated us from the beginning. When you uh, listen to this, think about this whenever you are um, passing the potatoes and, and, and asking for someone else to, to, to pass the carrots or, or whatever you serve on Thanksgiving. That sharing almost killed us, ironically. You see, the first Thanksgiving almost didn't happen um, because the, the very first communities in America, places like Jamestown and places like Plymouth, specifically Plymouth, started out with the idea that they started out with the idea that um, everything should be communally owned. It was a great idea. It was a great theory. You only take out as much as you need. You work for it, you put in, then you take it out. It, it sounds, in, in that theory, like a great idea. However, the, the Puritans did not quite grasp, <laughs> although they should have. It's completely logical to understand this, but the, for some reason they didn't. They didn't take into the, the human portion of the equation. That people, when they don't have to bear responsibility for it, they can become greedy. 
You see, the communalism idea, that's where true greed originates from. I don't have to put... I, 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 uh, I could put into it, or I don't, but I still get to withdraw from it. Maybe today I don't feel like I'm working as hard. Maybe today I might feel, quote, under the weather. So I just won't go out and work, but I'm still going to get my food at the end of the day. Well, what happened was that they, they started having a food shortage, and they actually had to, to lower themselves all the way down to eating the likes of, of rats and shoelaces just to stay alive. Now, this isn't, this isn't the thing that I was taught whenever I was growing up in, in, in grade school. I was taught that the pilgrims came together, uh, came together with the Indians. They had a big feast. They shared. Uh, they they brought some of their stuff. The Indians brought some of their stuff, and they shared all their plentiful banquets. And that was that. Thanksgiving's about sharing. But they had that food because after two years of nearly uh, eliminating themselves through starvation in Plymouth, they decided. Maybe we should try something else. This isn't working. We're killing ourselves. We have to do something else. So they conceived the brilliant idea of private property rights. It's property rights that, that saved them. Because whenever they had ownership of something, they felt invested. Whenever you have ownership of something, that's something powerful. Just as much as today owning your own house or your own car or, or something something to that effect, that, that, that's, that makes you proud. Knowing that, that you earned this, that'll make you work harder. And because there was no guarantee, no one said, well, I'm, I'm, just, not going to, I'm just not going to work today. It was that ownership, that, that feeling of, of empowerment, that private property and only private property could give them. That feeling of empowerment caused them to work longer and harder, and, and in return, they each got to keep a little bit of, uh, they well, honestly, they got to keep all of it. They got to keep all of what they, they labored for, and because of that, Instead of famine, the following year, the Puritans rejoiced. The Puritans had plenty of food at that point. When, when Governor uh, uh, William Bradford saw this, he took notice of it. He saw the, the 180 that had just happened just by letting people keep what they have worked for. And he noticed the self-empowerment. Self, uh, self he said this had good success, speaking of, of the transition from communalism to property rights. For it made all hands very industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been. By this time, harvest was come, and instead of famine, now God gave them plenty. In the face of things that was changed to the rejoicing of the hearts of many. That was in 1623. That's when the first Thanksgiving happened. The first Thanksgiving was only possible 
because of private property, self-empowerment, self-ownership, and free market capitalism. At the time, they didn't understand that's what, that's what that was. But history took note. And certainly the framers of, of our nation and of the Declaration of Independence and of the Constitution, they certainly took note. They noticed that it was liberty that saved the Puritans. They noticed that, that it was, was self-ownership. It was private property. That's why property rights almost was almost included in the Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and property. That was originally what was in it. And the only reason that they changed it was because at the time, people would have seen slaves as property. Now, you can call the Founding Fathers racist all day long, but the fact is, is that they did not enjoy slavery. Some did. Some in the South did. And it's not, you know, all or nothing when I, when I say that, but the prominent ones that you immediately think of, they were not proponents of slavery. They wanted it ended. And they specifically removed property from the Declaration of Independence so that that could eventually happen. They were playing a game of chess. They understood that. But that idea of, of property rights still wasn't eliminated from the Declaration of Independence. No, far from it. It actually, I think it, it's probably better that they excluded property from, from the Declaration because the pursuit of happiness explains it so much more beautifully, saying that it's not just property that you are endowed. You are endowed the right to do whatever you want. You have self-ownership. You, as long as you can empower yourself. Now, now we're not going to, to, to help you, meaning the government. We're not going to help you get there, but that's the point. That's the point. You don't need government to help. Government will only burden you. Government will only trap you, as it did in Plymouth, the years leading up to the first Thanksgiving. That community mindset, when you place the community over the individual, that only traps you. That only ensures that you will not reach your God-given potential. God did not want people to be ordinary. They understood that if we are made in the image of God the most powerful being in the universe, how can we possibly justify that his most sacred and precious creation should settle for ordinary? The Founding Fathers scoffed at this idea. And William Bradford and in, in the community in, in Plymouth understood this after they almost starved themselves. He said that we thought we were smarter in setting up this community set of living instead of prioritizing the individual. We thought we were smarter than God. Now, I, I know a lot of proponents of socialism will use Christianity as uh, I'm a Christian, and, and they will use Christianity as a means to justify socialism. I never understood that. And, and really... 
something that, that Jeffrey and I discussed last week, something that we discussed last week was really important, and I think it really hits the nail on the head, um, the difference between, between the collective and the individual, the community, and what's, what's best for the greater good and what's best for the individual. And ironically, when you place a preference on the individual, you are helping the community. When you're saying that no one person is more or less important than the other, that's not a being about a community, but it does empower a community. When you're saying that the individual life matters, and if they matter, then every individual must be allowed to reach, instead of limiting everyone for the, quote, greater good, every individual must be allowed to take control of his or her own life and reach the potential that they have inside them. And that, as a result, if people can take control of their own life, benefits the community. Because when you, when, when you put a preference on the individual, when you think that you specifically can make a difference, everyone benefits from that. Everyone, pe people are inspired by that. It was only after um, the, the pilgrims almost starved themselves to death that they truly understood that. It was only after um, they almost destroyed the very notion of America. Not only did Thanksgiving just about not happen, America almost didn't happen because of socialism. So whenever I say... Yes, America was founded on socialism. It has socialist origins. It wasn't called socialism at the time, but there is no denying that that's exactly what it was. This, this idea of communalism, this is what economists call the tragedy of the commons, and it really is a tragedy because it completely limits individual or honestly, it doesn't even limit. It completely eliminates individual um, motivation. It eliminates individual incentive. And while you <laughs> say you're protecting the greater good, you end up destroying the greater good because you're placing an emphasis on the community instead of the individual. This is the kind of conversation that I want to have with people. These lessons that we can learn, these discussions that we can have, these are the kind of, of stories that we need to be telling so we remember who we are. America is at a, is at a crossroads where we are putting an emphasis on the collective, and it's on both sides. We're putting an emphasis on the collective on both the left and the right. On the left, it's, it's, it's realized through the Bernie movement. And on the right, we see, you know, large rhetoric about collectivism, about populism, about protectionism. 
And while they seem distant, they are, in fact, one and the same. They are no different. If we are expecting ourselves to move forward and survive and thrive as a country, especially after this election, we have to wake up to that fact. We have to begin telling these stories again. We have to look back into our history and say, what made us great in the first place? We have to look back and say, what only, not only what made us great, but what almost killed us? Because America was not always great. And that's okay. That's okay. It's because we weren't all rainbows and sunshine. It's because of that very reason that America is so profound. America is truly a miracle. And we don't appreciate that anymore. We, we really don't. Yeah, America had some, some, some dark turns and some tragic occurrences. But that shaped us. And we learn from that. It's the ability to learn from our failures. America is the first country that said, you know what? You're allowed to fail. Go ahead. You have that right to fail. We're not going to protect you. And that's a good thing. If you, if you succeed, it's by your own doing. If you fail, it's also by your own doing. But that's good. You know why? Because you can learn from those failures. We will not accept mediocrity. And a failure means that you are just that. And you can do two things from it. You can learn, you can adapt, and you can grow, and you can become better. Or you can sit around and pout and blame the whole world for your problems. America is the kind of country that says, you know what, we've failed a few times. But that's part of our greatness, is the fact that we failed, but we didn't settle. Failure means that we were being too mediocre and we weren't having big enough dreams. Success in America true success comes after many failures and that can only happen here much like how in in this case of the tragedy of the commons their failure year after year and starvation after after starvation and death after death that failure in colonial america it wasn't even i don't even think it was a colony at the time that failure led to the brilliant understanding of how property rights, free markets, and individual empowerment can save us, and not just save us, but cause us to thrive. Only because they were allowed to fail, they were cut off from everything in England. They were completely cut off from the king, and they were left in the wilderness, said, sorry, can't help you here, buddy. Sorry, Bradford. I mean, you're out there, yeah, but it's going to take a little while for us to get there if you need us, so you're on your own. And for the first time 
in their lives they were allowed to fail and live with the consequences of it. And only because they were allowed to fail in the first time in their lives did they actually succeed. They didn't only, uh, only succeed, they gave birth to the understanding of the greatest system in the history of the world and saved the idea of the greatest country in the history of the world. America was born out of a failure. That was the tragedy of the commons. But ironically, that very failure gave way and gave light to the greatest system ever discovered by mankind. That's what we need to be talking about. That's what has made America great. It wasn't free stuff. It wasn't free education. <laughs> it wasn't free health care. It wasn't anything like that. It was the right to fail. Private property. And free enterprise. When we begin to understand that again on both sides, the left and the right, only then will we be able to empower ourselves once again. When we begin to, to understand that, then the forces of, of large, grotesque government from the fascist, ultra-right wing of the Republican Party or the Marxist-Socialist wing of the Democratic Party, they will be defeated. But we have to keep hammering it over and over and over again. Progressives have been e eroding this away for a hundred years. It's not an easy feat. And we can't expect this to change just like that overnight. But it can be done. It can and it will. Because this community right here, this community, I know is not the kind of community that will just give up. This community right here is growing bigger and better and stronger with each episode. And we're having um, discussions on where we came from, like we did today. We're having discussions on where we should be going, like we did in the last episode with Jeffrey Tucker. That's why I'm, I'm doing every single month, from this point on, every single month, we will be having... Um, an exclusive guest that is an expert in his or her respected field so that we can talk about our way forward, so that we can talk about where do we go and how do we get there and why. That's what it's about. I thank you for listening today. I thank you for tuning in. I guess that is something we can all be thankful for. The greatest system in the history of the world came out of tragedy. That's a lesson for us. Even in the darkest times, can there be light that comes out of it? And I think that even in these kind of times, can there be light coming out of it? Absolutely. I thank you for listening this week. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We will uh, be taking a break, um, like I said, on Thanksgiving. Um, I'm going to be going to my girlfriend's house. And... The following week, we will be uh, having a roundtable, and 
discussing the fallout of the presidential election because we really haven't been able to do that since since the election happened. So that will be on December 1st. The people, I don't think everyone who's going to be on the roundtable knows that they're going to be on it yet, but it'll be a good time. I'll let them know. Or they can just listen to this episode and, and kind of figure it out for themselves. Uh, <laughs> I hope that you follow me on Twitter, at Caleb Franz, and we, we will definitely be tweeting this episode out. And, and share this with, with all your friends. Show where we came from. Show that. Tell them. Tell them. Especially if they're really conservative. Or maybe they're really liberal. I'm sure their faces would be... A little perplexed if you tell them uh, that I said America was founded on socialism. That should be really fun. That would be an interesting discussion around the dinner table on Thanksgiving. I hope you have that kind of discussion. That's always fun. So be sure to join us the week after next for our roundtable and then moving forward into December. And we have great things planned out for that month. I'm very excited. Um... Again, follow me on Twitter, follow Milliberty on Twitter, at Milliberty, and subscribe to us. Be sure to uh, subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Give us a, a five-star review, write us a, a nice little note. Just let me know what you think, and uh, we'll see you soon.